Welcome, everyone, to another edition of the Quintelligence Podcast. I am David Marver of Change the Padres, joined by Padres Jagoff. Yeah, we're. Uh, it's been a while, Marver. It's been a, a little too long since our last podcast. It's been a couple weeks. I know that we wanted to do that whole Herrera thing, but um, I don't know about you. I couldn't get through his podcast. I couldn't get through last week's either, uh, and it was kind of a struggle even the week before. Uh, it kind of seems to me to be a thing that... Uh, is just going to disappear. Yeah, I think so too. And I saw the posting for the um, for the post game job. I think you sent that out on Twitter, maybe. So I think that's a slight indication that maybe uh, they're looking a different direction. It's that, or he's incredibly lazy and just doesn't want to stay during <laughs> yeah. the game for the post game. I mean, I couldn't blame him at this point. Uh, the The team's getting increasingly difficult to watch, even though um, they are about to kill that five game win plan. Uh, and Frenchy, hey, been a let's exciting. Let's have a yeah. moment of silence for that that marketing genius. That's about yeah. to. Padres yeah, are currently yeah. up by two. This will be win five. It's currently June fourteenth, so it made it uh, fourteen days. Let's, let's pay our respects. Yeah. Pour one out for Partello. Okay, well, I think we've paid our respects to that uh, yep, wonderful that was marketing nice. campaign. That was very nice of us. You know, we never actually talked about that marketing <laughs> campaign, Marver. Um, I know, and it, ah, God, if I was writing more, I know I need to start writing more, I would have written a, a, a giant post about really Gruppner's first public speaking appearance, right? Am I not incorrect in stating that his radio interview recently where he talked about the plan was basically his first public talking? Well, he's had two. He filled in twice. Both of them were heavily monopolized by Cilio, uh, just asking about the Aztecs and the uh, stadium. Oh, great. I, okay, I think well, Gr- I, I know that he had a bunch of comments. Gruppner talked about it, and he dropped the same stuff as Fowler. The uh, We just value our product more than other teams. Yeah, and that's the thing I wanted to really talk about. Um, you know, what exactly are they valuing? I think that's where the big issue comes in. I think the Padres are probably looking at it from a purely fiscal return on investment right now. We offer these tickets. They were going to sell for this amount of money. We get them to buy, you know, sell for this amount of money. We made a small profit. You know, I think that's the way they're looking at it. But it's not. I don't think that's the way all the other teams are looking at it. I think a lot of them are looking at it as a loss leader, a way to continue interest during either a bad season or um, a terrible ballpark experience. If you're looking at like the Diamondbacks, for example, and they understand that having these people continue to come to the ballpark, ballpark, and have interest in your team, even if you're losing a little bit of money each time allows you to make a lot of money down the line on them potentially it's a classic well, even, loss leader. even in the short term right i mean a loss leader can be long term or short ter- short term and uh it's not like concessions aren't massively profitable um and the concessions are really what this team is marketing at this point all they talk about is the ballpark experience the usa today quote unquote voted them to be the number one ballpark in america and it's all based around food and beer um so I mean, yeah, and, I, you want and I love how the ballpark, yeah, and I love how the ballpark like belongs to the city and was pitched as a way to make the game more affordable and more competitive for the Padres. And in fact, in their memorandum, uh, in their MOU where they got the stadium, they talked about how they had to keep it a an affordable family experience. And yet, when you look at comparable products like across the baseball spectrum, the Padres are clearly having the most expensive of these mid-year giveaways. So it's. I find that to be a little bit ironic, but the main thing on the five-win plan is just, A, yeah, I, I think you did a good job explaining how it was constructed poorly in your post, how you're technically almost, like, rooting for the team to lose, which is weird, although you are kind of anyways with the tank, but it's actually weird to be at the stadium, I imagine, and being like, hey, hopefully Brandon Maurer blows this game so that I get to come tomorrow for free. Um, that's got to be a strange situation to be at at the game. But the main thing is just that, again, I think the Padres are judging this in a way that other teams are not judging it. Like, they don't even understand, really, or they just don't want to do what the other teams are doing and the, the ways the other teams are judging these packages. Um, because, look, if you get someone to go out to the ballpark, you know, 10 times a month, even if you're losing a couple dollars compared to what you might have gotten from these people if they paid fair market value on these tickets some other way. 
there's a much higher probability that those guys are going to buy season tickets in the future because they're just more engaged, let alone what you talked about earlier, the, the concessions and all the other ways you might be able to milk money out of them to make it more profitable. I just honestly do not buy that the math works out in the Padres' favor and not in the favor of the other 20 teams offering a better deal. Like, I just don't – like, going off the history of what we know about the team and the other teams – I imagine their structure is and their analytics is more robust when it comes to this plan. It also just sucks for the fans, right? Like, it's like, no, our product's good enough. Uh, yeah, we're the worst team in the league, probably, but it's good enough, you know? It's, it's well, kind of a slap in the face. The thing you said about the analytics and the other teams, I guess I could see the argument about other teams not valuing their product if it was, you know, one or two teams that were offering something better, but it's 14 teams. That have a better offer. Right. Yeah. There's like a broad consensus among Major League Baseball teams that it's profitable or or long term profit. You know, is a benefit to the team to offer it for less money. Um, so it's not. I don't know. I, I've got two things on this. Really, the the first is that um, I don't know who it's really for. Like, it's a lot of talk and attention about something that I don't think they sold that many of. Or, or even had that many available for sale. But um, the thing is, the guy that's going to come to 15 games in a month that, that has the time and, and cares about the team enough probably has season tickets already of some kind. Um, so, like, if that guy already has tickets, the casual fan, uh, you know, the guy that makes it to a game or two a month, uh, doesn't have the time or desire to go 15 times in a month and, like, isn't going to reap any of the potential value from the deal. So, like, I don't really know who the deal is is for, right? Um, the second thing is it's 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 just too it's too expensive. Like, it, it's, it goes back to something we've talked about a lot, about how we believe the team on the business side uh, takes the, the customer for granted a lot of times, that no matter what, we'll just keep coming back. And they push... Don't get me wrong. The concessions at Petco are, are, are fine. They're great. Uh, I mean, I don't ever buy the food there, but I, I, many people enjoy the food there, right? And at some point, I know the repetitive the, – the message that they're controlling is um, it's a great ballpark experience. It's a fun time to come down to the ballpark. You can get food and you can get beer and you can get cocktails and, uh, and you can hang out with your friends, right? That's what the commercials say. And – at some point, how much do we think people are going to pay for what's essentially uh, an expensive food court? And don't get me wrong, it's a nice food court, but that's what they're advertising. You're buying a ticket to, to a food court that has all the restaurants you can go to in the area anyways. Um, there's no signature dishes. There's no nothing special there that you can't get elsewhere. Uh, if you want Cardiff Crack or Cardiff Crack sandwiches or Cardiff Crack nachos, you can, you can go to Seaside Market and get it. I mean, they're serving it on Saturdays. So, like, what? how long can they sell this? How long can they just say, hey, it's 50 bucks, come down to the ballpark, and you can then spend 1350 on beer. You'll have the right to spend 1350 on beer, and you can buy Cardiff Crack sandwiches for $14. Like, I don't know if that's a long-lasting strategy. Yeah, and I love how Gruppner kind of justified the the pricing by saying they sold out of their allotment. Like, what, how, how many is there allotment? And that's not necessarily the greatest way to judge it, right? Because like I said, it's a long-term play from a lot of the other teams. It's not a short-term, let's try to get a little bit more money in this month play. Um, and well, if it's a, it is... It's a statement that a dummy like Cilio would be like, oh, wow, you guys already sold out. What a success. But um, yeah, I mean, anyone that really thinks about it. It's the I way mean, to not get any further lines of questioning from Cilio. Yeah. Right. Well, he's never going to get that anyways, but... Um, That's true. And, like, the other thing on top of this is, um, and this touches on a lot of issues, but, like, the Astros are really good, right? So now the message has changed from, hey, we're going to be the Cubs to we're going to be the Astros because the Astros are much better this year. And that's fine. I think the Astros are probably a more comparable um, example that we could try to follow. But I, I love how, by the way, at the beginning of the year, Peter Seiler was mortified by the Astros tanking example, but continue. <laughs> Yeah, uh, the Astros are in year seven 
of their rebuild. Am I am I am I correct? I think um, they went through four year, three years of hundred loss. Uh, another fourth year where I think they lost over ninety. Uh, the fifth year they made the playoffs. The sixth year they were mediocre, and the seventh year they're now at you could say a World Series caliber level at least right now. So seven years puts us into two thousand twenty three from uh, when this rebuild started last year, and that's a long time to keep the fan engaged and. Even to 2021, which is, what, five years after the rebuild, you know, if we're really following the Astros' example, um, five years, long time. And you already see fan fatigue now, and we're only two months into the season or so, two and a half months into the season. Can you imagine what it's going to be like in the third hundred loss season? Second, even second, third, whatever. Like, the team needs to do something to get people engaged and, and that's what i never understood about how they approached this year and the, the five win packages you know it's like the icing on top of 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 just a uh, just a trash cake that that the team has served this year on the marketing and business side and i, I don't i don't know what they're gonna do i mean they're, they're on pace to fall below two million uh people this year which has only happened once in petco park history and if that happens this year imagine the attendance in a second hundred loss season it's 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 just amazing to me that the just the lack of will and the taking for granted of customers and um you know you can't not try forever and expect to succeed yeah and i think another part of it is you know if the padres dip below two million fans or you say they're on pace too um but let's say three four years from now they're good again you know what is the padres method for getting those fans back I think, like I was saying, part of that five-win plan versus what the rest of the league is doing is the rest of the league doesn't have to get those fans back necessarily because they have such a lucrative or valuable offer to their fan base. They're already going to those games. I mean, in, in some ways, you're almost better off selling your tickets for like $3 for the next five years because then when you're good again, you can raise the prices and everyone's already going to the games. They're going to keep going to the games. But once you disconnect the fan from the product, it's a lot harder to bring them back. And I, I've used the story of my dad before. Had season tickets for over a decade at Qualcomm. Um, you know, we went to many, many games. Had small season ticket packages at Petco. Um, and then he got turned off by some of the rebuild stuff and some of the ownership stuff. A lot of the uh, the Garfinkel years and all those just completely stopped in having interest in the team to the point where. Even when Mike D came in and they had that one let's go for it year that was ill-advised in retrospect, he still didn't have any interest. So you have to keep those fans engaged. And just throwing a small bone that sort of looks like what other teams' plans are doing but is still really not all that valuable, it's not going to get, like you said, I don't know who it's truly marketed to. You're not going to get that person. You're not going to get my dad to drive down to to Petco Park for a $100 package that has a variable life which we now know to be nine games so i again it's a long-term play and the attendance thing and how long it's going to take for them to get competitive again that's another question i also think the astros had a little bit of a harder time because their tv ratings were literally zero for some of their games because they had a, a a giant television debacle not that it's great here but I do think that, yeah, it's going to be a little ugly, especially because not all fans are like you and I or the listener, and not all fans get it, you know? There are a lot of fans that a, just don't yeah, get it. Those a lot of fans. Like, check any Facebook posting by the Padres, and it's just filled with casual fans that don't understand what's going on. And those opinions matter, They right? do. I They're mean, customers. Absolutely. They, they may not... I don't think you want to use those opinions towards how you run baseball ops. And to their credit, it doesn't look like they are. But you definitely need to use that in terms of other things. I know we made the the uniform post before. But obviously, I mean, there are a lot of fans that will not take kindly to the tank. And that might turn them off even more. Um, So, I mean, I I don't know. We'll see. The people like just neighbors, you know, casual fans, you know. North County, it's kind of a pain to get down there, but people will go if it's like a good, if they're good, or if it's a you know special night or something. And I'll talk to them, and they know I'm a huge Padres fan, and they'll say like, you know, our family of four, you know, to get okay seats at Petco Park on a Saturday, and you know, average fan is going on a Friday or Saturday when dynamic pricing is highest. You're talking with fees; it's 
200 bucks to sit in Toyota Terrace or it's 200 bucks to sit in, you know, down the lines outside of the infield but on field level, you know, okay seats, right? 200 bucks and you're talking another 100 in concessions on top of that, like that's that's a not quite a family's trip to Disneyland, but it's a family's trip to Legoland or something. Like it's hard to um it's hard to ask that for this product and they can't they just can't do this forever. I don't know. I don't know what they're gonna do. Uh, well, we probably should do some kind of case dra- study. They're gonna have to drastically. They're gonna have to drastically drop ticket prices. Yeah. I think. Why wouldn't they do that this year? They knew what was coming, though. We all knew what was coming. Yeah, I mean, some people take longer to learn than others. I mean, that's just, you know, how it is. I mean, I think there are some teams that recognize that really early on and they price it accordingly. Like they yeah. have the foresight to see that's gonna happen. And other teams are much more reactionary, and I think you'll see a much more reactionary response from us. We should do some kind of case study on um, what, let's say, the Astros or the Royals or whoever did for their fans. Uh, I, like, I'm curious if they cut uh, cut prices or offered you know additional benefits of some kind. Like, like what are the Reds doing right now? You know, I I, I think it'd be interesting. I should we should probably look into that. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't looked at that. Um, you haven't looked at any. You haven't looked at cool. anything, Marver. Yeah, that's true. No, actually, you know, one thing I have looked at, and let's uh, segment to this or uh, transition to this: the Padres draft. So the draft happened over the last few days. In fact, I believe, as we've been talking on this podcast, the draft just ended for the Padres. So, um, yeah, they've got a brand new draft class, a new batch of Padres prospects for us to follow and be disappointed in over the next uh, decade, and uh, lament that we took. You know, player X over the next Mike Trout or whatever. But uh, what was your impression? Did you have any impression at all? I'm not sure how closely you followed it. I mean, I followed it. I'm uh, I'm always a little uh, wary of making comments on a draft right afterwards. It's hard to if you re- if you follow Twitter, uh, literally every draft pick has uh, incredible upside, uh, amazing tools, and is going to be a surefire contributor in the future and you know outside of the Padres failures you know even the best drafters most of these players are irrelevant for the future so it's it's hard for me to really say um Mackenzie Gore seems like you know it's very exciting a good left-handed pitcher um seems to be you know more I guess more further along than the average high school pitcher um but it's I don't know. It's, it's hard to make judgments. I mean, I I don't have anyone else I would have rather they'd, they'd taken, I guess. Um, so that was good. Beyond that, I, I think like the, you know, a lot of people got mad that they drafted two catchers after that. And um, I think it's, that's silly. You know, I, I think people that have followed the baseball yeah. draft know that you don't draft for, for need. Um, no, never, ever draft for need. Right. For the love of God, never draft yeah. for need. And to their credit, actually, I mean, that's the... That's the biggest takeaway from the draft for me. It's not even that, you know, they, they picked a lot of guys that I think you would, um, you know, on the scale of safe, projectable to toolsy. I mean, they drafted the guys that were more on the side of toolsy, but we already knew that based on Preller's past. So that's probably how they're going to pick players again. Um, but what was great, I thought, was the fact, I mean, they're all, they're, their first six picks were high school guys. If you were going to conjure up a scenario where, ownership was um, injecting their opinion into the draft saying hey we need guys soon or whatever you know you would think that that would be used to get college level players so Kyle I think Ray, Kyle Ray the one drafted. yeah the one positive you can take is that that scenario did not play out now I didn't think that was going to play out I don't think they're meddling in that sort of way but just to see that that there's evidence that that's not happening that's great in my opinion in terms of the actual picks themselves yeah like I just remember my own reactions to all of their draft picks over time. There's only been a few times I've been upset, and it's been like a total mixed bag. I was pissed off when they picked Trey Turner because he was described as light on the bat. In retrospect, he's like the best draft pick we've had in like a long time. Uh, but like, I don't know. I, I have no problem with them picking three catchers in the first six picks, which is apparently they're going to move this Johnny Hamza guy to catcher. Um no problem with that because, like, you just don't draft for need in Major League Baseball. Even though there's only one catcher on your Major League roster, these kids are 18. By the time they're 22, Hunter Renf- or, uh, 
Austin Hedges is going through arbitration. So, like, there's just really no need to get up that upset about it. Um, it's not like they spent a top draft pick on a guy with low upside and tried to do this strategic route where now you sign guys under slot. It looks like they literally just picked the best players um, or the players that they thought were, you know, had the most upside or whatever. I think there was a little bit of slot stuff with their maybe sixth through 10th round picks and stuff, but I think overall you'll see them sign most of those guys. And, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm excited about Gore. I think he's a potential number one pitcher, and I don't remember the last time we picked a he's pitcher in the first round out of high school that was described that way because Max Fried was not described that way. He was described as a potential, like, number two, number three mid-rotation guy. Right. He, he, so, was, a, he was a curveball guy. That, that's what got him yeah. drafted. I mean, Gore's yeah, not so, a fastball guy. He's not a super power pitcher. He's throwing low 90s. Yeah, so, so I, I, I did a lot of I research on him in the past the, couple days. The, oh, he's yeah. going to be the number one pitcher. I don't, I don't know if he is. I don't know. I mean, he's you know, described. Kinda, it's so, actually the same with Quantrill. When I watched him, I didn't see a number one pitcher. Like he's throwing low nineties. He's, you know, it sounds to me like Gore's breaking stuff maybe further along than even Quantrill's, who's still working on a lot of it. Which is yeah, you know, I think. That, which is the nice. description for Gore, what I saw, was possible three or four plus pitches. He's had increasing velocity, and he's only 18, so he might end up throwing 95, 96. But, I mean, you look at other guys in baseball, Clayton Kershaw, Madison Bumgarner, Corey Kluber, those guys, they're not great because of their velocity. Obviously, their velocity is still good, but those guys are great because of control, because of breaking pitches, because of other movement on their fastballs. I mean... You don't have to throw 100 to be great. And a lot of guys that throw 100 are not great. So I don't necessarily think that's the most important thing to look at. I look at the scouting reports and, you know, you got to take them with a grain of salt. But there are people that had Gore ranked number one on their entire draft board as a potential top of the rotation arm down the line. So that's all I'm going to take. I'm not going to pretend to know a lot about him. I've seen, what, like maybe three minutes of YouTube footage on him. So all I can go off is where he was picked. And uh, what people say about him, right? So I mean, Kershaw throws nine. He's hitting hits ninety eight. So like, it's a little it's a little different. And this is also why terrible Kevin Acey's awful article that compared that said that uh, uh, Mackenzie Gore needs to basically pitch like Clayton Kershaw for the for the plan to win was just a little a little silly. Like most things that Acey writes. Um, yeah, that was. And not don't a great... don't have this come off as me being down on Gore. He's he's looked great. Um, I will say, like, all of the Padres' Twitter uh, just weeks of speculation on the picks, I wasn't that into it because um, I guess none of the top five really got me super excited. I don't know if you felt the same way. Like, it, it, they're all fine players and they'll be fine, but it, I just didn't, it didn't get my blood flowing, I guess. It seemed to get a lot of other people's blood flowing, but... Um, yeah, but hey, just to go back to the velocity thing real quick, I mean... Kershaw's not even in the top 30 in, in starters in velocity. Well, he's right, like for 30 fastball now. Velocity. What was he throwing in 23? I mean, if you go through the, like, the top 10 list, you've got you know Kevin Gossman having one of the worst seasons in baseball. J.C. Ramirez on the Angels. Garrett Cole's having kind of a down year for the Pirates, although he's still you know potentially a top arm. Luis, Luis Severino on the Yankees. I mean, those aren't all studs, right? I mean, there are a lot it's of guys not, that throw hard that just Obviously, don't do well. Obviously, it's not all about velocity. Yeah. Um, but generally, when you hear right, a but prospect I'll, being projected into the number one slot, into like an ace type position, they're generally not throwing in the low nineties. When, when you're making those yeah, projections, yeah, I, I I don't think he's going to throw low nineties. Like he right, let's already hope. throwing harder let's than hope. that, and he's eighteen. So yeah, I'm not I'm not too concerned. But I do. Um, I so I do have our pro, uh, top prospects list coming out soon. It was going to come out last week, and then I was like, why would I do this when the draft's just going to happen and I can just wait a week and uh, add those guys in? I know there's been some discussion on Twitter. I think Gore is a Padres top prospect, and I have a decent amount of data to back that up. I don't see it at all. Um, I don't see that at all. Okay, so let me give you a backstory. Uh, I play a lot of fantasy baseball, a lot of dynasty baseball, and one of the things I've learned over the years that I abused to, to no end in fantasy baseball is that the average value of a player on the top 100 prospect list does not match the average value of top draft picks in MLB, meaning a guy who's picked second in Major League Baseball, or in this case, let's just go with Gore's example. He's picked third. 
The expected value over their first six seasons of a player picked third in the MLB draft is basically 8.2 wins above replacement. Let's call it eight, just to make it round. Now, if you look at the top 100 draft, uh, the top 100 prospects by Baseball America rank, and you figure out, okay, what prospect ranking coincides with an eight wins above replacement projection? And it's about the 28th top prospect in baseball. I don't believe the Padres have a guy on their current minor league system that is 28th best prospect in baseball. I think you can make an argument, certainly, that Espinosa should be up there, that Tatis, even if you wanted to, because of the stats, if you're just going to go on the computer rankings, you're going to say Urias, even Quantrill. I can understand them all being in this same conversation and score, but just based on that value prop, um, you know, where the third overall pick generally does for value and where the 28th pick generally does for value, that's where he should slot in. And I don't even think he's a typical third pick in the draft. I think he's actually slightly better than that because normally there's a guy that's like clearly the first pick in the MLB draft or clearly the second pick in the MLB draft. And the guy who goes third isn't necessarily the third talent. I mean, Gore was legitimately thought of as the number one guy by Jonathan Mayo. So I think when you're looking at it in those terms in a pure value proposition, I, I'm going to slot Gore as the number one prospect because I don't believe Espinosa, Quantrill, Tatis, or Urias is the 28th best prospect in baseball or better. I think they're all between 25 and 45, all five of those guys I just listed. But I think Gore has uh, the best argument for being up there based on previous value at the same pick that he was picked at. So my belief is um, partially based on my assumption from reading what people have said uh, about watching Morihone throw. But I think Morihone is going to move up the rankings quite a bit. I think a lot of people were conservative on him because they'd never seen him throw before. And um, the people I've heard, the base, I, I know the Baseball America podcast talked about it. They came away just super impressed. And so my assumption is he's going to go to Tri-Cities and he's going to mow down a bunch of a bunch of hitters and that's going to really put him on the radar um yeah and that's fine i have him like a clear morahone has i have better, him the he's clear got better, six he's got better tools he's a lefty he throws you know he's he's arguably better than i mean he's it's hard to i mean they're they're kind of similar except i think morahone throws harder um it's and i have they're literally I, three with, days with, apart with, by the with way Quantrill's performance Gore's birthday is Gore's birthday is February twenty fourth, nineteen ninety nine, and Morahone's is February twenty seventh, nineteen ninety nine. They're right. like the same age. But Morahone's pitched at a higher level. He's, um, you know, he throws harder. He's still got uh, advanced like secondary pitches. He's he's strong. Like I I think I defer to also that Quantrill's actually succeeding really well at, at high A, and um, I think those two are ahead of of Gore. And I think some prospect rankers are going to have Urias. I think Urias is going to make a big jump uh, in some of the yeah, prospect and, and, rankings. Yeah, and like I said, rankers, I have Morahone like, maybe like, at that strongly also. Yeah, and I think the thing with Morahone that throws me off a little bit is that he still hasn't thrown against live batters, and we're now in you know, mid-June. Um, but I think... It sounds like we'll main, see him uh, in the next week or so, though, right? As soon as Tri-City starts. Yeah, I mean... I hope so, and yeah, obviously if he comes out there and he throws you know, 25 innings at Tri-City and strikes out 33 guys and walks two, he's going to be number one on my list if that's the case. But I'm just going based on the historical value of that first overall pick and where those guys in that two to six range, and I think I'm, I only mentioned Quantrill, Espinosa, Urias, and Tatis. I think Morahone's just behind those guys, probably in the 50s on most prospect lists right now. Um, I... I don't have any problem with anyone arguing any of those guys at number one. I think you're really splitting hairs at that point. I just am saying, like, the value of where Gore is picked, the average player, is the same as the average 28th best prospect in baseball. So I'm going to put him at 28th in baseball, which is ahead of all of our guys. So it's really – and this is comes back to the dynasty thing I was talking about. I used to do something where I would trade, like, the 35th best prospect in baseball who I had in my farm system on that fantasy team for, like, the guy who was just picked third. And I could do this almost every year and consistently just basically steal value from the rest of the league. Because for whatever reason, there's just this discontinuity in the way that Baseball America ranks and the way that Major League Baseball teams draft. So, and the way that value is reflected. And that's fine. As long as you understand Baseball America do, does that on their list, they underrank recently drafted guys, it's, it's fine. Um, but it's also something we should consider with Gore that he probably is, based on expected value, our top prospect. 
Now that does not include Margot, who I would put above him. Um, but you know, at well, any rate, so, yeah, I mean, the no, fact I that Padres have six of those guys like, that are like legitimately top number one prospects, and they're all legitimate top hundred prospects, is a uh, pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, I found a con- like kind of a comp, but he was drafted second. I mean, Tyler Kolek for the Marlins. This was in twenty fourteen, slotted right into number twenty seven. Um. He threw 102 miles per hour, so that could have given him a little helium on the ranking. But, I mean, I, I think Gore's going to wind up somewhere between 25 and 40, somewhere in that range. Um, I, I don't think it's it's uh, I don't think it'd be impossible though for one of our existing players to jump ahead of that. No, not at all. Uh, like and Tatis, I would say the odds are that one Tatis of them will. Seems like he's. I think like Tatis or you know a really strong Morahone season is going to push both of them right up into that range. I don't think Urias. Just there's always there's like this doubt it seems like in the back of a lot of people's minds about him because of his size and his lack of power. But I don't really see him jumping into that range. Um, but I could definitely see Morahone and Tatis. Yeah, and I could see even I mean Which I could see Quan or Anderson Espinosa doing that too. Overall draft pick, you know, if things really worked out, like like if Quantrill really just pitches amazing the rest of the season. To have your number three overall draft pick slot in at potentially fourth in your in your system's prospect list is is quite a statement for um, the system itself. Yeah, no, it is absolutely. Um, also, I th- I mean I think there's a chance Gore ends up in the top fifteen. I think it's a slim chance um, in baseball, but if he can't goes to the rookie ball this year and you know he's probably going to get like fifteen innings, and if in those fifteen innings he strikes out you know, 22 guys and walks three. There are guys that debut like that, you know, every know. other year. I, you think they're going to send him right to rookie ball? They they haven't – they put every single one of their high school draftees last year into extended spring training all spring. The, none of them did anything. That's not true. So, some of them went to rookie league. Which um, one? Trey, Trey Carter, he got to play in rookie ball. Um, oh, you're right, yeah. Yeah, some of the other ones did. I think I think he's advanced enough that they'll they'll send him there. I mean, they've been pretty aggressive with these Dominican guys and the Cuban guys. Yeah. So I, I think this, you'll they, see they him they throw have a some backlog innings. of people they need to get onto into some competition. Yeah, um, I also think uh, Dan Dallas did he throw too? I think he threw as well. He's a high school guy last year. Did he? Um, I don't know. I know he did. I know he made the Tri Cities roster this year. I think. Yeah, no, I thought no, he did. Maybe he but, didn't. But anyways, I, I mean, I think there's a chance, right? I mean, there are guys that dominate like that every once in a while. Every one or two years, a really highly ranked top 10 drafted player goes into rookie ball and just dominates and is instantly in the top 10 or 15 pick uh, Baseball America ranking. So I wouldn't be totally shocked if that player is Gore this year. Wouldn't be totally shocked if it's Hunter Green or someone other, you know, guy like that. But the fact that there's that opportunity for him, like I don't, I don't think you're going to see Quantrill go out there and – in the next 20 innings, strike out 35 guys and all of a sudden rise into the top 20. Right. But I think he's more advanced and he's demonstrated that he's good. So, like, the probability of him being a good major league pitcher is much higher than Gore at this point. It's just that the the expected value from the, the part of the equation where Gore becomes a superstar just outdoes the rest of that, in my opinion. So Right. And the other thing is there's a lot of different methodologies for the prospect rankers. Like, some of them, it's very feasible, would have Brendan McKay or um, – Kyle Wright ahead of ahead of him, you know, because there are a lot of prospect evaluators that will factor in uh, not just ceiling or upside, but will factor in you know probability of making the majors. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if some people had those players ahead of him as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I can see that. Um, Dan Dallas is not on the Tri Cities roster, so he is not on a he is not on a roster. Uh, one sec. I thought he threw last year. I might be confusing him with the different draft pick that they had. No, he threw last year in rookie ball. Okay. He had 11 innings uh, in the Arizona League. So, yeah, I mean, they, they it should be, do it. It should be noted. I just think, doesn't yeah. have a – they don't have a full roster yet. I mean, they, they made an announcement, but there are – I believe there's openings on their roster to take in, you know, either a selection of these – I would assume a, a selection of these new draftees. But uh, the only other thing on the draft that I had was I thought it was interesting that – 
the Padres just actively tried not to draft players from uh, power conferences. Uh, I, I'm counting. Let's see. They got an Arkansas player and one Ohio State player. And I think that's it. So two out of 40 were out of a major conference college team. Uh, Fresno State. They're not major. Eh. Stop pumping up San Diego State's ego. It's a, it's a California-based second rate, school. Second-rate, third-rate conference. I mean, Coastal Carolina it's not, won, the, won the national championship, right, last year? Yeah, that's true. Um, no, but I get the but, but, but they're not. Yeah, which is interesting. You know, they're not facing the top competition on a daily basis. So I thought it was interesting that – and it's not just that he took them from minor D1 colleges like, like Coastal Carolina or like UNC Wilmington. He took a lot out of uh, – he took an NAIA player in the top ten. He took... Um, well, and he also got a guy oh, from your favorite school, Moorhead State. Yeah, he did take someone from Moorhead. Moorhead's D1 at least. <laughs> but uh, there's just like... I mean, I, and then he, he trolled us with uh, Faulkner, I, I think. Yeah, he did. <laughs> a lot of community college, a lot of junior college on here. You know, there's a lot of minor schools throughout. So I thought that was interesting. Um, I don't have any um, conclusions from that, but... Uh, it was just an interesting little side note that I noticed. I think it might just be indicative of the Potters having a slightly wider scouting net, maybe, than other teams, right? Like, if you if you only had 10 scouts, I don't know the number of scouts they had, but let's say you had 10, and then another team had 20, you would imagine the team with 20 would be able to locate these guys slightly better than the team with only 10 scouts, right? So, yeah, and, you know, I trust in AJ and everything, but... uh for some reason, it popped in my head that comp of uh, you remember when Bobby Bethard would just draft players from like Sam Houston State in the first round just to like pad his ego that he discovered this great player, and then he would waste a first round or second round pick on it. Not that DJ's wasting hey, anything. Can you can you shut up about the charges already? <sighs> Fine. Let's Thank move you. on. But, hey, yeah, I mean, the rest of the draft we touched on a little bit earlier. Like, who cares if it's catchers? I mean, they all sound like guys with reasonable upsides. I, none of them really stood out to me as terrible picks. There was no Johnny Manziel, you know. No Quinn Hoffman. I'm fine with it. Everyone forgets about Quinn Hoffman also, that that uh, A.J. wasted a pick on that as well. Yeah. Although, uh, nope, he hasn't played. I thought he had played. Who? Quinn Hoffman? Yeah, he went to Harvard. He has a he's a baseball reference page. I actually looked. Wait, up they drafted him and he was five nine one fifty five. Jesus, yeah, they didn't draft him for his skills. <laughs> it wasn't even the fortieth pick. They used like something in the thirties to draft him. Obviously, they knew he was going to Harvard. I'm sure Trevor told them he's going to Harvard. Yeah. Anyways, uh, anything else on the draft? No, although I just realized the Padres today picked a guy from Malvern Prep School. Malvern is just up the road from me. So that's I'm interesting. well aware of Malvern Prep School. They're the I'm trying to think of their mascots. They're, I used to know their school song actually. What? How? How the hell did uh, you fraternity. know their school song? Fraternity brother. My college was full of prep school weenies. Uh, okay. Well, that's funny. Yeah. Uh, so um, I, I anyone did from uh, La Costa Canyon this year, by the way? Negative. No, no. We're still basking in the glory of last year's number one overall selection. Well, Carlsbad High School had a first round pick this year, but it was a different Carlsbad High School, I, unfortunately. Yeah. But I'm still claiming it. I'm still going to claim it. Carlsbad Fine. High School. If you want, if you want to align your call your high school experience with a rural middle of nowhere New Mexico village, then that's that's fine. I mean, it's a it's uh, a, a player a player park, who who's, who the. <laughs> A player who the scouting reports actually said may have been underrated because scouts just didn't feel like driving to Carlsbad to watch him because it's so difficult to get to. That's a good comp. It's a good it's a good thing to link Carlsbad High School to. I mean, if that's the case, if that's like the scout's excuse, then there should be never be anyone from like central LA scouted because <laughs> that's it can't be worse than that's that. That's very very racist, uh, Barber. No, not at all racist. Um, I did go to a Lake Elsinore game on Sunday. I had the pleasure of seeing Joey Lucchese pitch. Uh, what do you think of Joey Lucchese? There's a lot of helium on Padres Twitter behind him. Yeah, so, I mean, I can just give a little sneak preview here. Right now, I tentatively have him ranked at, let me scroll down very far here, 32nd on our list. 
um, which is a little bit of a rise from him. Last time I had him at 33rd, and we've added players to the organization. The thing with him is he's 24, and the scouting reports on him are like he doesn't throw hard. He's kind of got like a weird delivery that kind of makes his stats look a little bit better than they should be. But it's really difficult to argue with the stat lines. I mean, the strikeouts are still there. The walks are up a little bit. I mean, last year he only walked like two guys, so of course it was going to go up. Um, but he's also given up home runs. But that league is – it's really difficult to gauge home runs in the California league. So I still think there's a legitimate chance he can make it. I just think he's a back-of-the-rotation type guy. Yeah, I, I feel like a lot of fans look at his stat line and they're already – Pegging him as a future major league starter, which is a little it's like Wade LeBlanc all over again. Yeah, so I mean, I actually had a chance to see his stuff. His delivery is a little, you know, it's got a hitch in it. It's he starts out like Hideo Nomo kind of, where he holds his hands up over his head for a second, and it's like uh, cool to watch. Uh, I imagine it throws some of the batter's timing off, but you know, he gave up two runs. It was fine. He he got hit hard a little bit and got out of a few jams. Um, um, actually, he gave up four runs, and Guerra had a Javi Guerra had a terrible error that gave up two that could have closed out the inning, but he just olayed the ball. Um, he throws like 90, 91, 92, maybe, like has some breaking pitches, but nothing that seemed exceptionally great. And so I'm curious how he'll do once he gets his promotion up to Double A, and to see if that delivery can help help carry him through, but. One thing that I noticed was, and it's probably an unfair comparison. I mean, Joey Lucchese is not a top 100 prospect in baseball, nor will he be. But the Dodgers farm team, the Rancho Cucamonga Quakes, had their top pitching prospect. Um, I think his name is Yadier Alvarez, I think. He's like the 26th pitcher. And I just watched this guy pitch. And he's kind of like Anderson Espinosa, where his stats aren't that great, but everyone's scouting him as like a future you know, top of the rotation starter, like just effortless 9,900, like sharp breaking pitches, great curveball. Like it kind of, his uh, stats are pretty good by the way. Alvarez's stats are pretty good. Are they? Uh, the ERAs, the ERA is, uh, if, if you're the type of person that will look at ERA and whip and be like, that's, you know, the, you know, that guy's terrible. Then he's not for you, but the strikeout rates there, the walk rates fine. Yeah. Only three home runs allowed in 40 innings, which is actually pretty good in that league. I think it's stats look like like you decent. see the, you see the stuff and like it's it's just it's better than like I watched Quantrill pitch too like the the stuff of Alvarez is great it's great it's like he's not even trying it's it's kind of like how they describe uh, Hunter Green they talked a lot about how his velocity seemed effortless except Alvarez has the secondary pitches to go with it like it, it kind of scares me sometimes when I see that because. It's not talked about much in Padres land, but the Dodgers actually have more top 100 prospects than the Padres. And on top of that, you know, obviously they have limitless resources at the major league level. And so the thing that scares me is I have no doubt that AJ's plan is working, I think. I think he's doing what we can do, what we should be doing, which is accruing lots of talent and then hoping it it can uh, be successful at the major league level. But not only do, does that have to work, there's also this built-in gap, right? Because the Dodgers, on top of that, um, have money to buy the best players in free agency when they need it or when they want it. Um, they have the money to go after a player like Otani whenever he comes here. And so the question is, how do we close that gap? And and we kind of did. I mean... The, the big push into the international market, the huge influx of talent, the, the one-time gains made from that is, is a concrete effort to close the gap. But then, but then we're left asking, is that enough or was that enough? Like, I don't know. It, it's impossible I to think, say, but how, yeah, how, I mean, how, I how does, the team, the, how does stuff, the team in the future you look at the, close that gap? Yeah, I think if you look at the big picture stuff, and I'm actually writing, like actually writing about this, but... um. The Dodgers are the one question mark for me going forward because, yeah, they've got – obviously they have tremendous talent already at the major league level that's young. You look at um, Cody Bellinger at first base. You look at Corey Seager at shortstop. I mean, there's just a lot of talent across the, the diamond for them. And then they have all these top prospects. I think the one thing that's different is, yeah, you already mentioned the international signing. So we have a slightly larger wave coming through than they do at at least some point in time, right? You would imagine that when these – 
17 to 18 year olds that we just signed are 24 at least in that year we'll be bringing up more good 24 year olds in the Dodgers but I think the other part of the equation is our and and this is something I'm rooting for I'm rooting for the Rockies and Diamondbacks to be good because it forces the Dodgers to potentially trade away some of their future talent for talent now and I'm actively rooting for that to happen because if it didn't happen let's say the Diamondbacks and Rockies both sucked and the Giants are obviously terrible this year um it's a lot easier for the Rock, uh, for the Dodgers to hold on to those guys and you know keep their window open during the Padres' potential window opening. So I think you got to do everything you can to um, throw off the Dodgers' window a little bit, and that might include trading players. You know, uh, being fine trading players to the Rockies and Diamondbacks to force the Dodgers to trade, or trading players to the Dodgers and getting some of their future talent back. I think we got to. Um, make sure that there's nothing we're taking off the table in terms of making sure our window is our window and not another team's window. Right. Because but we do. It is concerning, a- and and you know part of the the concerningness of that is that they're routinely scouting and drafting these players still. Right. I mean, they basically took our old GM and made him like a like a low level scout. Right. Well, I guess reasonable scout for them. So. Um, right, and and that's the yeah, thing. I mean, like like from here on forward to close that gap like we've done what we can in the international market at least for the near future well probably forever with capped with capped uh, international spending like that's no longer something that you can really exploit right you you can do well at it and you need to do well at it but that you need to do well at it to keep pace not just to close the gap and that's kind of what drafting is at this point like the only concrete advantage we can get is tanking to have a better basically the only the only time it matters a, you know, a huge amount is maybe the first is the first round, maybe the second round, and beyond that, the difference between having the first pick and the twenty fifth pick is not that big. So, obviously, you gain that advantage of getting a better prospect at the top of the draft in the first round, basically. But beyond that, drafting well is what you need to do to keep pace, and it's hard to get ahead and close the gap that way either, especially when you're going up against an opponent like the Dodgers. You know in the grand strategy arena uh, that does that that very well, has a much more proven track record of it. And so that scares me. The Dodgers scare me a lot. Like long-term, how how do we get better than the Dodgers? And there's always going to be a season, you know, where, you know, Kershaw gets hurt in the first week and Bellinger goes down and they'll turn in a season and the Padres may get in the playoffs. And that's great. But I guess... I'm trying to brainstorm ways that they can keep a, a sustainable competitive advantage that they could um, keep exploiting. And that that's why it's sad to me that Ron Fowler pushed so hard during collective bargaining this year to create the international caps. Because I thought that was a long-term exploitable advantage that the team could have repeatedly used. Yeah, even if it's not an advantage, right? Like, even if it's like, diminishing returns on those dollars at least it's like a a potential way in which there could be um like a sort of money ball deficiency in the league right the fewer of those ways in which you can differentiate your behavior from another team the fewer number of ways there are to exploit it and so now yeah like you said it is somewhat disappointing to see that um but we'll see um and that that may come off as negative part of what i was getting it may come off part as of negative, what I was getting like, at earlier is like, like, for example, when the Dodgers traded for Logan Forsythe over the winter, they gave up a bunch of future value to get him. I mean, those are the sort of things we should be rooting for, mm-hmm. you know, through 2019 um, or 2018, 2019, whenever we think the Padres are about to open their window. We should be rooting for the team that's whose window looks like it's going to coincide with us to be trading for players for that season. So I'm rooting for the Dodgers with, you know, on the heels of the Adrian Gonzalez injury with Rich Hill pitching terribly. I'm, like, rooting for them to trade away future value for guys for this season. Like, I'm very happy with how the Diamondbacks and Rockies are playing for that reason. Yeah. There's there's also the other little thing Padres fans should be rooting for is for uh, every start that Johnny Coito has to just go terribly because he's their – supposedly was going to be their big deadline trade asset, and um, depriving the Giants of a nice payday on Coito would also be – good for the future as well but i mean i think that's I mean, the I kind think of the giants are that screwed long term though well, sorry 
I think the Giants are pretty screwed long term, and I'm going to write. I, know, I, I mean, I have like I've a, said a couple so paragraphs before, on that. And then they. Oh God! I don't. If if you just want to, um, but just go look at their contracts. They have to pay in like 2018, 2019. I've said, I've, I've said the same thing before, though, and they always prove me wrong. So I'm I'm scared to make that that statement. And we are talking a longer timeline here. You know, at the point that the Padres are going to be playoff caliber good. I mean, that, there's quite a bit of time between now and then for, for a team like the Giants to rebuild. And little things matter. And depriving them of getting a top prospect for Coito, like those are the little things that are going to add up for the future. we got to root for something. So I, I think that may be one thing we can do in the future on the podcast is identify those little things like, you know, hoping the Dodgers use assets now to compete this year or hoping, you know, the Giants' assets to trade away are, are bad or, you know, those are all things that are going to matter in the long term. Yeah, in the short term, do you see uh, the Padres potentially trading anyone? I mean, we're already you know halfway through June. I mean, uh, there is a July thirty first I mean, trade deadline. We're, all, we're almost traded. a month out. Handle hand is gone, right? He's got to be. I just right. Yeah, I, I think some people are maybe overvaluing him in their heads. I don't know what we'll get. I mean. I think I said it on this podcast. Like, I, I just want Luis Soto. I just want Soto from the Nationals. He's just off the top 100. Let's just get him. Yeah, I mean, anyone in the top 100 would be a, a major grab. A huge get, yeah. Um, we, we were shocked last year when we got Naylor for, uh, what was it, Andrew Kashner? Right, yeah. Um, so, I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if they got a player like that. I mean, it all depends on the alternatives for the team, and I – a broken record when I'm saying that, but if the Padres are offering Brad Hand and the only alternatives are better pitchers that cost a lot more or worse pitchers that cost the same, they're going to pick Brad Hand. So, I, I do think it's it's mandatory that they trade Brad Hand. I, I yeah, don't think same. he's a pitcher that you want to say, uh, well, we just didn't get the price we were looking for for him, and then hold him, and then have him. I mean, relievers are not year-to-year great investments to bank on you know like we're lucky that hand is doing as well as he is after last year um and so you got to. i think we they got to trade him they got to take the best offer beyond yeah. hand i don't know how about I don't know uh, who, who's worth how about uh chess how about chassine though i mean he's, he's almost i know his era is terrible um I know there's rumors that he should be moved to a relief pitcher, but his wins above replacement is actually not that bad this year. His FIP is pretty good. He's just been pretty unlucky. Yeah, I mean, we um, might be able to dump if, him on someone, but, like, he's not going to get a prospect of note, I would assume. No, you can get another one, another one of those lottery tickets, though, you know? Yeah, we can get a, um, yeah, like a, you know, a low-level prospect, like what we got for, for Melvin Upton last year, uh, Hansel, Hansel Rodriguez, you know? An interesting yeah. prospect who's not on any prospect rankings or close to any prospect rankings, except yours. Yeah, Gretel Sanchez. Yeah. yeah. The only other player I could see traded is, I guess, Cahill. But if you look at the calendar at this point, they say Cahill's, what, on a throwing program right now, may get rehab started. Like, he's he's at least a couple weeks away from getting back to the majors. You mix in, you know, the all-star break, and he basically has, what, four starts to regain his value? Um, I don't know. What about Clayton Richard? <laughs> I can't believe he's actually playing okay. I don't I don't know. I mean, these are guys that maybe someone will take, but I don't think it's – we shouldn't get too excited about the potential return. I'm more excited about if- the rotation slot that would open to allow – just some auditions for guys that are in triple a or even double yeah you know michael kelly's yeah, not and they're, michael kelly's not young am i wrong am i wrong about that no he's definitely not young right i mean um, there are players that we could just bring up and see what they can do like kelly's doing relatively well in double a you know you i haven't looked at how lockett's doing but he seems pretty destined lockett's, to at least get a audition lockett's been struggling at triple a but el paso stats suck for pitchers right. like i I don't believe any of that. I think that, uh, yeah, I think Lockett, he's 23. I think he could see some time. Kelly's uh, going to turn 25 here this year. So, I mean, you got to figure he's going to be up at some point in time. Um, even some other guys, I think they have a, 
uh, De Los Santos in Double A. I mean, he's not pitching all that well, but you could still call him up potentially. Um, Kyle Lloyd down in Double A, I think. There, I, there yeah, are definitely so some rotation candidates. Me. That excites me a lot more than whatever return we would get for those marginal pitchers. You know, yeah. So to me, that's a gain for the team. I think they need to be creating those opportunities for their players you know if, if you believe in the theory that these prospects can develop at the major league level which at this point we're pretty much forced to believe um then then follow through on it and get those guys up here and let's let them learn at the highest level i guess you know with major league coaching there's nothing to lose i mean most of those guys were marginal prospects to start with, so you hope you strike gold. And that's one of the things with the Astros. Um, Dallas Keuchel wasn't like a top first-round pick. He's a guy that they drafted in a, in a later round that they struck gold on. But you need to give opportunities to find those guys to, to give them a chance, and you hope that you strike gold on someone. Like You, you kind of need to strike gold if, if the plan is going to work. Yeah, and you have to remember, uh, Keuchel really sucked in his first major league season or two. Yeah. Um, it's part of the reason I actually never ended up with him on a fantasy team. He, he just was always bad, and I just figured, no, nah, he's not a good pitcher. Right. Um, but he really put it together with that major league experience. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think that's what the second half of the year is going to look like. Um, I was kind of surprised they sent down Ryan Schimpf. We haven't mentioned that. Um, it makes sense, I guess, in some ways. It does not make sense for his trade value. I mean, maybe, maybe he tried to trade him. Like we we don't know all the details, but maybe maybe Preller already floated him out there and had no takers and realized that the only way to get any extract any value out of him was to take a desperate measure. I mean, yeah, power maybe. powers. I mean, he know, was having a worse sexy, year this year. He but like, let's not forget that National League leader in in home run. I think National League. Chris Carter was National League last year, right? Or was he American League? He was a league leader in home runs and got cut and, you know, was non-tendered. So power with, uh, you know, not great other hitting tools isn't, isn't a, a scene stealer anymore. You know, it's not, it's not enough. Yeah. And it's not like Schimpf was playing great. I mean, his numbers were down this year compared to last year, um, pretty much across the board, like in terms of. Strikeout rate, walk rate, you know, power even. Uh, he only had, like, two non-home run extra base hits. Last year he had a bunch of doubles. Um, not, I mean, not a lot of doubles, but there were at least some in that column. So it's – I don't know. It's a – I think I'm kind of with you on that. I bet you did try to trade him and just there's just not a market for him. Um, in which case then, yeah, I mean, he's 29 if you can't get anything for him this year after he's had – you know, 35 home runs in less than a full season of Major League Baseball experience, you're probably not going to get anything for him. Right. He, Why he's not cheap. There's, no, to there's nothing guys. to lose by sending him down and hoping he gets better, you know? So I, I, yeah. I get it. Um, I get it. <laughs> you know? And in the end, you know, now we have Perella up there and he's doing something, so maybe he'll turn into something. I mean, I don't have a lot of hope for long-term success, but you never know. There's surprises in everything. Shimp himself was a surprise. So, yeah. And now we're at the point actually where uh, Corey Spangenberg has a higher OPS plus this year than Ryan Schimpf. Ugh, yeah, Spangenberg. I, I know we differ. I think we differ on Spangenberg, but only 26. <sighs> yeah, yeah. Everyone loves slap hitters with low averages and low, uh, just no power. I don't think he's going to be a low-average guy either. And it's not like he has no power. In his career, he has 600 plate appearances, and he has 43 extra base hits, 10 homers, 7 triples, 26 doubles. That's not nothing, especially yeah, at second I, base. I mean, so, he seems like a 700 OPS kind of guy like for his career, which is fine. It's just it, that's... I feel like this is how he gave up on Logan Forsyth and all those other guys. I honestly feel this is the same scenario. We're looking at it in, in the lens of, okay, what has he done so far at the major league level and not at the, okay, here's his talent level. We can see he's still, like, that talent is still there. It's not yet translating, but there's really no reason to give up on him. He's fine to get us through the tank years. He's fine. There's not a reason to dump him or anything. I just don't think he's going to be a key part of the next competitive Padres team. 
So just as a uh, comparison to Forsyth, there Forsyth had about 700 plate appearances when we traded him. He was very similar. Like if you look at doubles, triples, home runs, like almost literally the exact same line as Spangenberg. Right. The, not as fast also. Not as fast and not as highly drafted. So um I don't know. Like, I think uh, it's and a I'm not premature. advocating and like, like I said, if DFA we had, him or anything. It, like he's fine. He's a if, fine if utility had, player. If we had extended him on the last podcast, we would uh, have saved a couple hundred thousand dollars. Extending him is such a terrible idea. <laughs> Just terrible. I really don't think it is. I I think you're literally buying at the lowest point in his career, and he's going to be an actually decent major league player. So, but uh, that's a fun long term project. Um, anything else? Franchi came up. I know you laughed when I mentioned him as a potential call up this year on I think a podcast two podcasts ago. Yeah, but he's looked pretty good. Yeah, he's looked good. I you know I'm one to be a little patient on it. You know, people were real excited on Cordoba when he's OPSing like 900, and now he's. Uh, has like the lowest exit velocity in the league and um, you know it's under 700 now on that so let's not get too excited too quickly you know it's exciting while it's happening the Padres are on a nice three game winning streak I wouldn't say nice it's it's probably it's terrible for the tank but uh, this was a critical series for the tank against the Reds and they they blew it um, I got off track just thinking about how badly the tank is being blown right now <laughs> Yeah, it's being blown. Uh, Franchi's fine. Yeah, his his tools seem I, exciting. Let's just not let's let's not pencil him in as the starting center fielder at this point. You know, he's no, he's a I don't nice think he is either. But replacement for Margot when he comes back in two years from now from this minor injury, uh, he's fine. Fine, everything's. Fine. I mean, I'm at I'm at I'm at the point where I think what they should do is play. You know, when Margot comes back, I think. You got to move Franchi to left field and move Cordoba to shortstop. I think that's the the correct play. I mean, not just for um, player development, but before the tank. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a possibility that we got too excited about Cordoba too quickly. I mean, he seems good, and he's doing amazing considering the circumstances. But I think a lot of people had him penciled in as like we should just start him every day. He's he's not making solid contact. He's you know he's not he's fine for what he is. Right. And let's not. Start, and if you remember you know, our season preview episode, we we said you should be happy if he hits two thirty. Like I will be happy if he ends the year at two thirty. Yeah. He's coming out of rookie ball. And right. He's twenty one and he like he looks like he has some talent. Um, the fact that you got to steal that from someone else's system, you should be happy if he hits two thirty. Um, but you're tanking also. I I just don't see the downside of playing him. No, I don't unless either. Unless you think I mean, it's hurting I, his I would have DFA'd yeah. Ibar on opening day if I could have. Yeah, I mean, he wouldn't have made my roster. Right. Yeah. Never, but with Franchi, I, I think he's – his OPS is obviously off the charts right now, but that will come back to earth. Um, but he's doing what he has always done, at least in the past two years, in the farm system, and that is just hit a ton of extra base hits and strike out way more than you want him to strike out. I mean, he's, he's over 20 strikeouts and 50 at-bats right now. Right, and, which, and that's going to be a problem. Uh, that's and terrible. <laughs> yeah. the, and the book's going to get out on him, you know, now that there's, like, actual, you know, video and scouting of him at the major league level. Like, people are going to start exploiting it. So, I, I don't know. I mean, it, his tools are certainly exciting. Uh, I don't think you can strike out 40% of the time and be considered a major league, maybe no. maybe even a major leaguer, period. But No, you're not. So... It's good now. Let's just hold back our long-term planning around him. Right. But I think that, I mean, I have him on the prospect list, just to name, just to drop that one more time. I have him ranked 11th right now on the prospect list, and that's just based on the fact that he's 22 in AAA and he had actually decent AAA stats. I think he could end up being an average major league starter in left field just based on his gap power and the fact that he's still pretty young and it looks like he has some size that he can add. He kind of reminds me of Marcelo Zuna. I don't know if you've seen him in Miami. He came up really early as a corner outfielder for the Marlins, too. He was also, you know, looked like the type of person that could add a ton of weight. And my God, has he? He's, like, on pace to hit 40 home runs this year. Yeah. You just have to be patient with him. Like, his rookie year, he also struck out a ton. Not quite as much as Franchi, but he struck out a lot. Um, But he had a ton of gap power and had a lot of extra base hits, and they just – you know, have stuck with him, and now they're getting the fruits of sticking with him this season. So I, I don't think it's one of those things you stick him as a backup player. I think you just stick him in left field, and you 
you know, you cut Ibar, you cut Darno, however well he plays guitar, I don't really care. Wait, you don't um, want to compare him to Cliff yeah. Floyd, like uh, local no. quote-unquote journalist Tom Krasovic, because he's dark-skinned and is the same height? <laughs> yeah. I don't know where he got the Cliff Floyd comparison. Cliff Floyd was one of the biggest prospects of the early 90s. Right. He, was ranked, yeah. he was ranked first on Baseball America's list one year. I'm pretty sure he was top 10 like his whole minor league career, and yeah. if not, certainly for multiple seasons. Um Right. He also a came up a much, card collecting yeah. Padres Jagoff in that era. Certainly remembers all of the uh, hype around Cliff Floyd when he was coming up. I have a Cliff Floyd card on my baseball card um, table downstairs. The one that I've, I have that like uh, the resin over it, so you can see through. Right. I have like a Cliff Floyd rookie card on there. Um, yeah, probably don't try to pass off that comparison, um, but. It's what, just what, another what example of, the, of Tom Krasovic. Yeah, that's true. It's just another example of the media here, like overhyping a player. Like, how does that do the player well, right? Like, if if you're someone that reads that tweet and you're like n- not following that closely, your expectation, or at least my expectation of what your expectation might be, is that you might think we have the next Cliff Floyd, and then when he's not Cliff Floyd, are you just going to be disappointed in the player? I mean, whose fault is that? It's just entirely the fault of Krasovic there. Right. There's it's, really it's, no it's reason irresponsible. to be doing that. Yeah. And part of the thing it the really Padres is. need to be working on is expectation management for the for the for some of the things right. on the team. And like at least with Chase Darno, they didn't say he was good at baseball because he's because he's not very good at baseball. <laughs> you know, they just made him. Out he's to just be a cool, likable white cool guy, dude you know? that plays the guitar. That's <laughs> yeah. you know, he's just one of the dudes, and uh, that's fine. People like dudes, but. Uh, it's it's it would be a lot more irresponsible if they were like yeah he's got a lot of Derek Jeter in him you know he's he's got the same kind of he just reminds me of him so much like that would be irresponsible and then and then people get angry when Darno hits two hundred it's it's irresponsible and uh, it's something the media does all the time here so yeah well let's yeah. close out this episode Marver yeah let's do that all right I, I do think um, we should maybe change our podcast slogan to. Uh, Maybe maybe let's wait to jack each other off. It's you know the entire ethos of this is let's just be a little more patient sometimes. Let's wait it out. Yeah, and get a definitely you know a larger sample size. Let's 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 not jack each other off quite yet. Put that on our okay. Um, yeah, I'll put that in the description yeah. right at the top. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, until next time, uh, go Padres. Go Padres.